A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and into score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Special Fight Club edition. Uh, I uh, it's a, okay. So it's a podcast about baseball, not boxing. But you know what? It's, 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 it's we're talking about fighting this week. Uh, my name is Matt Coggins. I'm one of your hosts. And my name is Carl Mizell, and I'm the other host. And I just uh, I, I hope that somebody out there remakes uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out with Jose Ramirez. <laughs> You have to be Tim Anderson, and you have to fight your way all the way up to Jose Ramirez, and then no matter what you do, you you lose every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, how could we not talk about the fight that happened this week? We had a, a, a different episode kind of in the works, and then the fight happened, and then we said, you know what? We're covering fights this week. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this week in baseball. Um, but before we get to that, Carl, how have you been? I've been good. Thank you. Uh, we were talking, like you said, we were talking a little bit before the record. I mentioned it last week. I was in, I recorded it in Indianapolis. I was in southern Indiana and northern Kentucky. Beautiful part of the country. Got to see some clients while I was down there, but uh, it is great to be home. I am exceptionally well. My ribs are finally starting to feel a little bit better, That's so good. I can uh, I can uh, get out of bed without pain. I can go to the gym uh, without too much pain. So I'm doing well. How about you, sir? You, I see you are rocking. You're representing our hometown of Flint, Michigan. You're uh, the the rep. It used to be the Flint Youth Theater. It's now Flint Repertory Theater. Yeah, I got my Flint Mural Plays t-shirt that they gave me for sound designing some of those, uh, which is pretty fun. Hey, if you're ever in Flint, there's a bunch of murals around and they all have a little audio play associated with them. And I designed about half of them. So I, I didn't know that. I, I know we have some friends that did those. Mm-hmm. That worked on some of those, but I didn't realize you did that. I'll have to go check those out. Yeah, there's a couple on my website, too, that are pretty They're pretty great. Uh, a couple of U of M alumni wrote some that were really nice, and I got to do some really weird stuff with sound design that I'd never done before. Um, in baseball, uh, personal baseball news, uh, for my birthday about a month ago, I bought some bootleg uh, jerseys. <laughs> from a website called DHgate and uh, everybody's kind of recommended this so they're like you know they're not real you know genuine merchandise they're their quality varies but hey you know they're kind of worth it because you can get a jersey for like 10 bucks um and you know pay like 20 bucks shipping because it comes from China and I said you know what I'll give it a shot so I paid 50 bucks total for two jerseys a Mets black jersey and a tiger's uh regular road jersey um neither of them look very good <laughs> and so i learned my lesson uh don't buy bootleg jerseys um, i'm look i'm looking at them right now i'm trying to look them up here the pictures look great because they just stole pictures from the nike website <laughs> oh okay yeah i i didn't realize yeah this is a uh, a total this is a knockoff everything this is like yeah. this is like the wish version of wish it's a little janky, but at the same time, I also bought an Otani Angels City Connect jersey on eBay. And I tell you what, if you, you're in the jersey market, eBay is probably the best move because for 50 bucks, I got that. And I also think I might have cursed the Angels in the process. So, yeah, I thought we would talk about that at some point today because, uh, yeah, we it just I feel real bad. Just a week ago, we were like, yeah, the Angels making some good moves. <laughs> uh, they swept the Tigers and they haven't won since the trade deadline. Yeah. As of this record, as of hey, you never know, but they're pretty toast. They're pretty toast. Well, we're gonna get to all of that as well as the fights. (laughs) Whoops. Um, (laughs) But before we get to all of that, we've got some baseball news. Baseball news is brought to you by the beer of the week from uh, Craft and Carry in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Forgot where I bought it. Uh, This week, Carly, of course, I'm drinking out of my Tigers. Uh, big old pint glass. We've got Jelly King from Bellwoods Brewery from Toronto. Nice area. Nice area. (laughs) 
It kind of reminds me of a yellow hammer. That's why I picked it today. Uh, it's a dry hop sour ale, pineapple, tangerine, and grapefruit flavored. Pretty good. A little tart, but uh, it's a nice little sipper for our podcast today. I straight up thought it was orange juice. <laughs> yeah, it kind of kind of got that cloudy. Yeah, uh, on, 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 on camera it looks like orange juice, but it looks tasty. Very good. So far, this latest haul from Craft uh, and Carry has been solid. If you're in the beer business, check them out. Upper West Side of Manhattan. They don't have a happy hour. <laughs> uh, so Yet. baseball news this week. It's been a weird week. Um, there was news that came out over the weekend that Orioles TV announcer Kevin Brown was suspended. After a pregame segment from late July about the club's poor history on the road against the Tampa Bay Rays, which included an accompanying graphic. So a producer and, a, and an editor and a designer and everybody and the host, Kevin Brown, made this graphic to show. And, and it's completely factual. It's based on real life. Which was put together by the Baltimore Orioles public relations team. Yes. Again, it's real life. The real stats. The Orioles have not been historically good against the Rays. Uh, they haven't been historically good at all in the last couple of years. Like they, we I think we mentioned a week or two back, they went from a hundred loss team to what is on pace to be a hundred win team within like three seasons. That's crazy. That's something to be celebrated. So to say, like, yeah, we haven't been historically good against the Rays on the road, and we might this time, which I think they were, um, saying something big, and the Orioles fired him. They suspended him. They suspended him. Sorry, he's not fired, yeah. and he is set to return this week. But it's yeah. it it um reminded a lot of people, especially professional broadcasters, of when they fired John Miller for very similar reasons in 1996. Uh, same owner, or at least the the guy that owns it. His son is probably the one that did the firing this time around. But same kind of sad group of people. And when I mentioned it to you, you had said like they're such cheapskates, and that's sort of what they're known for now. Yes, yes. I'm so glad you said that. This has happened before. Uh, I, th- I believe to Kevin Brown or, or others on the crew have been punished for not wearing the uh, preferred Baltimore Orioles polo shirts, which they are required to buy. And they are required to buy them out of their own money. Uh, they, they didn't like this because it made them, quote, sound cheap. They are. They make you buy your own polos and they have the 29th highest payroll in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, For those of you not keeping score at home, there are technically 30 teams in the league right now. Oakland isn't really performing like like a major league team this year, (laughs) right? So 29 and a half teams. Um, But uh, they did this to John Miller. Uh, back yeah. in 1996, they did it to John Miller because he quote, uh, the quote at the time was, he did not bleed black and gold. Do you know where John Miller works now? Or sorry, black and orange. Uh, he works for the San Francisco Giants. He signed with the, he went to go broadcast for the uh, San Francisco Giants, whose colors are also <laughs> black and orange. I was going to say, what's their color scheme? Yeah, I'm sorry. I said black and gold, black and orange. This, uh, apparently, the front office of uh, the Baltimore Orioles is all hands on deck right now. They're basically trying to find the leaker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we saw from the last presidential administration how well that goes. Yeah, so great. So great. But uh, yeah, the Angelos family, it was originally Peter Angelos, and now it's the the son, uh, the uh, the failed son, John Angelos, uh, doing the, uh, metting out the punishment. So yeah, I felt really terrible that there was the team I picked to bandwagon for the rest of the year, and this is the, the way the front office acts. Um, and it's really shitty because it takes away from what should be a magical season for this city and for this organization yeah and uh, broadcasters around the league roundly uh disputed it uh there was a beautiful monologue from gary cohen uh that i absolutely loved and he basically said you've draped yourself in embarrassment or something like that yeah damn uh and it's true like treat your a good broadcaster is so damn hard to find look at detroit tigers tv broadcast as a great example of of how rare a good broadcaster can be. Yeah. Um. It, you know, I'm glad they're bringing him back. Probably wouldn't have if this didn't get such outrage, but yep. let's move on to uh, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, this week's episode was originally meant to be uh, about weird injuries, and I think we're still going to cover that next week. Yeah. Um. But this, this was kind of what prompted it. Uh, Yankees first baseman Anthony Rizzo went on the injured list this week for post-concussion syndrome. Two months after seemingly receiving a concussion off of Fernando Tatis's ass and promptly losing the ability to hit. It was almost like instantaneous. He was one of the better hitters in the league. Has this play at first where Fernando Tatis kind of hip checks him by accident in the head. 
Next thing you know, a guy can't hit. He can't see the ball. He says he's waking up uh, every day feeling hungover. Uh, he's occasionally forgetting the number of outs. He can't see the ball. And he just attributed it to the grind of the season. He thinks he's just normal baseball tired. Um, and what's wild, too, is that he was testing normally according to their concussion protocol. So they were feeling like he was fine to go back out on the field. Um very weird, very scary situation because he might have permanent brain damage now, and and who knows if he'll ever recover the same degree, you know? Yeah, and I feel terrible <laughs> because last week we were talking about how his like just how Anthony Rizzo is the worst hitter in baseball in the stretch of time since roughly this injury. Like yeah. he, he was even worse than Joey Gallo at his lowest uh, with the New York Yankees. But it makes you like, it, it, what is there? And, and the next thing that's in our news is going to tell me all I need to know about the New York Yankees medical staff. Yeah. If it sounds like their concussion protocol is, hey, Anthony, do you have a concussion? <laughs> because you feeling okay? You feel yeah? good? Yeah. No. Back out there. All right. Go on. I I know. It, look, it's only the hardest thing to do in all of sports is to hit a round ball with a round bat, traveling at, you know sometimes 95 miles an hour and moving 12 to 20 inches uh, from its original flight path. But I'm sure it's no big deal. You'll be fine. Yeah, so more on weird injuries next week, um, but uh, more on the Yankees right now because they are just uh, not a good organization at the moment, and they are looking like a little a real clown show um, because, well, I mean, I don't know. If you put this in the Yankees necessarily, I guess you kind of should. Um, Yankees starting pitcher Domingo Herman, we've talked about a lot this year. He threw a perfect game. You know, we've mentioned that he's got a nefarious past, and this certainly kind of, you know, goes under something that's a little harder to talk about. But uh, he's out for the season now uh, to receive rehab treatment for alcohol abuse. I guess there was some sort of incident in the clubhouse where Herman had had arguments with manager Aaron Boone and his teammates. He flipped the couch. He smashed the TV. He started talking shit to a, a teammate, Ron Marinaccio, while he was packing his bags for AAA. Um, just being an all-around piece of shit. And they made him go in the sauna and try to sweat out the alcohol, which is like the worst possible thing you could do for somebody that's too drunk. Uh... <laughs> You could like, literally explode somebody's heart if you do that. What the egg, fuck are they egg, thinking? Eggs. This is why I was saying the next thing in your new in the news is because this is how they handle an alcoholic. They dehydrate him and make it worse. It's such. It is such a, a wreck over there right now. And I, I really, I'm. I don't think you did this on purpose, but you're, you did segues, perfect segues in the notes without intending it, because we're talking about what a clown show of an organization this is. Um, you also mentioned uh, the uh, uh, Tommy, uh, I can never pronounce his name, Tommy Canley, Conley, yeah. uh, shaves his entire body as punishment every time he gives up a run. That's just uh, fun. That's just <laughs> fun. That's just fun. And I wanted to bring that in because the transition from this note of how shitty the the organization, how shitty of an organization the Yankees are right now, dovetails nicely into the Chicago White Sox. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Keenan Middleton who just got traded, ironically, from the, the White Sox to the Yankees. And the two of them are playing each other this week, so that kind of made for why a lot of these stories kind of came about. So he was ripping the team for having this no-rules culture. He And this is a quote. Uh, you have rookies sleeping in the bullpen during the game. You have guys missing meetings. You have guys missing pitcher fielding practices. And there are no consequences for any of this stuff. And he goes on to claim a large part of the culture came from upper management. And he said, quote, they say shit rolls downhill. Now, the White Sox have had a fair amount of turnover in the last couple of years with their management. Um, it's just bizarre to kind of see it laid so openly. And like, we'll get to Tim Anderson, obviously, in a little bit. But like, this is this is like so we kind of knew it, right? Like, it was just sort of like, this is a clown show organization from the way they play. They don't play like a team. They play like a bunch of guys that were told to go play baseball and they don't they don't jive and now it's sort of like yeah i get it like they're just they're fucking around and they they've all got this chip on their shoulder they've all got this ego um you know uh, i i what i didn't mention in the notes is lance lynn who is now playing for the dodgers backed this up he said hey i was there a lot longer than uh keenan was and 100 percent everything he said was true yep and it's like dude what the <laughs> fuck 
it, it's just a, it's just an absolute, uh, it's an absolute nightmare. But it, 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 looking, look at back on the season, and look back and see Luis Robert all those times that he was lollygagging and not running out ground balls and not you know yeah. chasing down fly balls. He seems to have come around. I mean, he's having a great season. He's second, yeah, second in the league and in in, in in the American League in home runs and having a really fine so. season. But this is just one thing after another. Uh, and then, yeah, you this note here about the the general manager coming out and saying the the comments were quote a little bit ironic because the reliever had just apologized to him last week for quote unprofessional behavior close quote that first year manager Pedro Griffel had called him out for, which was okay. What? <laughs> so you're 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 agreeing then that uh, players are encouraged to have a no rules culture and they're uh, uh, unprofessional on the field. Seems like like that's sort of playing into the same narrative. I don't know. Yeah, it's not the flex he thought it was. It, re- <laughs> it really was not. The Yasmani Grandal story is weird too. This one now Grandal denies this after this this story came out. I think the same day as the fight. Um, Grandal apparently wanted to leave the day before the All Star break. Um, like a day early. He wanted to skip the game. He wasn't in the lineup. He wanted to get on a plane and head out. Um, and Tim Anderson, allegedly, while in the clubhouse with Yasmani Grandal, said, fuck that guy. If he doesn't want to be here, I'll pay for his flight. So Grandal allegedly walked over to Anderson and slapped him in the face. Um, allegedly. None of this is, like, proven, but this is the sort of clubhouse cancer that people talk about a lot, that ruins baseball teams. Like, you can have some really, really shitty baseball teams, but they're fun to watch because they like playing together. The White Sox are shitty, and they're not having fun. And that's, I think, what makes it... I I don't empathize often with White Sox fans, being a Tigers fan, but uh, I empathize with them in this regard because this can't be easy. And they've still got two months of a season left to watch, so... (laughs) Yeah, I, I would I would take what we're seeing in Detroit right now, which is a young team. They have their moments of excitement. They're still struggling, but they do genuinely seem to enjoy each other's company. They exactly. seem to enjoy the game. I was watching the game tonight. Uh, Zach McKinstry made a nice catch over by the dugout. Uh, him and Jake Rogers were chasing it down. And afterwards, there was a great angle from the dugout of of Jake just like really just gassing him up. Like it was it was a really good catch. It was a really solid play that communicated nicely. And it was just there was something about it that just seemed real genuine. It didn't seem like yeah. eyewash. You know, it was like, I think these guys actually like each other. I would take that any day over having to constantly be the butt of jokes. And and and, and now this is not going away anytime soon. No. Um, and let's, you know what, I think that's uh, a, a fitting transition to just <laughs> move right on to our, our main topic. We're talking about fights. Who's ready for some fights? So on Saturday, White, uh, White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson and Guardians third baseman Jose Ramirez exchanged blows in one of the best baseball fights the league has seen in years, resulting in Ramirez throwing a mean right hook into Anderson's jaw and giving him a concussion. Um, now, I played the uh, Cleveland radio announcer Tom Hamilton calling this fight perfectly. You probably already heard that in the cold open. Um seek it out too to hear see it line up with the fight because this man went from baseball announcer to boxing announcer at the drop of a goddamn hat and it is so good um now tim anderson is not a well-liked man across the league he's a well-regarded baseball player or at least he was up until this year um but i don't think other players like him that much i know he talks a lot of shit and uh this was kind of seen as another reason to clown him um, given that he very much instigated the fight. Now, if you haven't seen it listening here on the podcast, this is obviously a very visual thing, a fight. Um, please go look up the clip. Uh, basically what had happened is Ramirez, I believe, hits a double, yep. slides in, head he's first. safe. He slides he in slides head in first, yep. first kind of goes underneath Anderson's legs. He's safe. Anderson kind of gives a hard tag, even though he is safe, and uh, just kind of stands there over top of him with Ramirez between his legs. Takes a little bit too long to get up. Ramirez barks at him. Anderson barks back. Ramirez kind of like, you know, fuck you, man, whatever. And it already kind of looks like they're about to like do a baseball fight, which is just basically like, oh, hold me back, hold me back, hold me back. And then Anderson, in a very hockey move, throws down his glove, puts up his dukes. Ramirez then puts up his dukes and he looks at Anderson and he says, really? Are we really going to do this? And Anderson says, yeah. 
starts throwing punches. Now, the White Sox have all gathered at that point and start trying to hold Ramirez back. Ramirez then throws after, well, Anderson gets a couple punches in, none of them really land, and then Ramirez throws one punch, a huge right hook, goes straight into Anderson's jaw, gives him a concussion. It's one of the best baseball fights I've ever seen personally, and that's why today we're talking about baseball fights now the the consequences anderson suspended six games ramirez three a couple other uh chicago and cleveland managers were suspended a game or two um ramirez has offered an apology anderson has not accepted it <laughs> he has however tweeted a lot yeah he's trying and to tweet through it it's not going well <laughs> it's very much a a tough guy tweeting through a fight that he very much lost um i think my favorite reaction was cleveland's double a team announcing a new promotion jose ramirez appreciation week all fans named tim get a free ticket to sit down on the grass uh if you wear your jose ramirez jersey you get a free Bam Bam, uh, which I think are those like boomsticks, you know. Um, there's a home run punch derby and a punch out competition in the arcade. <laughs> it's so great. Um, first of all, I want to say something. Uh, the the Cleveland Guardians announcer, Tom Hamilton, uh, who was you heard in the cold open, one of the finest radio broadcasters in Major League Baseball. It, it, I mean, we have Dan Dickerson here in Detroit, and I we, we've shared our love for him many times. He's amazing. If you ever get a chance, listen to his calls. Uh, like I said to you, I didn't think, first of all, I, I thought the play was pretty bang, bang. I thought Jose didn't really have a grievance, but the real all-star in that moment was second base umpire Malachi Moore. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> he looked like a, like a, like a, like a hockey linesman. He was like, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it. Nope. All right. Carry oh, on. You guys go ahead. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Go, go, go for it. And I didn't think that it looked that clean at, fr- I, I saw it from a reverse angle. So it looked like he grazed him. But then when I saw the angle from like the first base side of it, mm-hmm. his, he hit him with like the flat, you know, like not with the front part of his fist, but the side of his fist. But still, he caught him right on that fleshy part of the face. And as somebody who has had the misfortune of being punched there, um, it doesn't feel great. No. And he just rocked him. And the memes. Oh, the memes. <laughs> uh, my buddy Josh sent me one where they were helping him off the field. It was like a video of him getting helped off the field. And it says me being dragged out of the VFW after I had one too many beers at the fish fry on a Friday. <laughs> um, and he's like, like you know, declaring <laughs> victory or whatever. I, again, I, I, it, was, it was stunning. Because, like you said, it looked like it was going to be a baseball fight, which we all have seen before, which is just a bunch of people sort of milling around and lightly slapping at each other. The guys in the bullpen are like, do we go? Do we go? They went. (laughs) Yeah. They all went. Yeah. uh, 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 Anderson got suspended for six games. I think Ramirez was three. And Emmanuel Classe got a game as well. Uh, Yeah. I didn't realize there was a whole, like, extra chunk of the fight after Ramirez and Anderson had already been taken away. It's actually um I'll I'll link it in the in the in the notes too. John Boy as always did one of those great breakdowns and he broke down this fight great because I had no idea that Anderson had been carried into the dugout by um um Andrew Vaughn. Yeah. And uh Vaughn goes back on onto the field and tries to break up whatever's happening with Class A, looks over, sees Anderson has come back out onto the field. Again, the man is concussed. He is woozy, he's not on his feet entirely. And he comes back out onto the field and uh um, so Vaughn grabs him and does the, one of those classic, like locked arm, like bouncer carrying a drunk guy out of the bar kind of holds that I'm like, where'd you learn that Andrew Vaughn? That's a, that's a good move. <laughs> that wasn't his first time doing that. I, I mean, he had to do it twice during the game. So it's clearly <laughs> like he's got practice. Um, and, uh, I can't imagine a baseball player is a light person. Even if you are a baseball player, I can't imagine it's very easy to pick up another one dead no. weight and carry him into a dugout. No. Uh, I would ask you, Matt, and listeners, to think back a year ago to Tim Anderson. The epic game he had, he was ascendant. Oh, the Field of Dreams, the game, Field of Dreams yeah. game, where he hit that walk-off. I believe he hit the walk-off. I mean, he hit some big... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he walked it off, yeah. And everybody... He was batting champion not too long ago. Yeah, everybody knew who he was. Uh, he was in a very... Uh, I'm pretty sure he was in a very, I think it was him. It was him and Blake Snell in a funny uh, commercial about the new rules where Blake Snell's yeah. hat blew off and it was to the to the second base side of second base. And Tim's like, sorry, man, I can't help you out. I'm, I can't go over. <laughs> I can't. And I thought that was genuinely funny. And I liked Tim Anderson as a ball player, but holy hell, this has been not just a bad season for him offensively. 
uh, it, this this whole season is going. He's going to be remembered for this for a long, long time. History will remember this, and let's go into that history. Where we where will this fight rank in the pantheon of great baseball fights? Uh, so I tried to look this up. I tried to research what was the first baseball fight. What was the like? What was the earliest documented baseball fight? And the unfortunate thing is, it's hard to tell because. Fighting in baseball has been going on since the dawn of baseball. I mean, man has a sort of uh, natural instinct to fight another man, uh, especially when a sport is being played. Baseball has always had fighting. Uh, Long seasons, lack of sort of, you know, it's not a contact sport. It's not like football or or basketball where you're you're letting your aggression out with your play. It's it's big, tight-knit teams that treat each other like family, that protect each other. And of course, there's an intense emotional roller coaster when it comes to the game itself. All of these are sort of seen as contributing factors into why baseball is so prone to fights. Hockey is really the only other one that you see legitimate fists happening, and that's just sort of because it's hockey. Like, we just kind of expect it from hockey. Um, if blows are ever happening in a football game or a basketball game, that's sort of like, whoa, 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 what's going on? You put that on the feet, you keep that on the court, you know, you don't fight each other. Um, but these guys used to fight each other all the time in baseball. Like, if, if anything, what we've seen this week was tame. Uh, they used to, they used to go nuts. They used to fight each other on the field. Oh, sorry. No, no, I was going to say, you're absolutely right. I mean, back in the, in, in, this game used to be a game, it, it, before it became the genteel sport in the early 1900s and, you know, into the, the right around, I think just before, yeah, it was Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Judge Landis said our, our favorite uh, person named Kennesaw came along <laughs> Um there was gambling and, and and rowdiness on the field. The fans would come onto the field and, and fight the players, and the players would chase fans into the stands and and, and fight them. Uh, I, I've, I'm I'm picking up and putting down the Hannes Wagner biography, and every like other chapter is like, oh, and then this game was stopped because of a fight. <laughs> uh, was the story about the great a uh, uh, Rube Waddell? Yep. He used to routinely go into the stands. If he wasn't chasing a fire truck outside of the stadium, he was going into the stands to fight somebody and steal their beer. That was just sort of what was expected of players back then. They were rowdy people. I mean, they're all on amphetamines and, and uh, you know, constantly chewing tobacco and drinking beer and, like, smoking cigarettes. Like, that was the sport. They didn't stop taking amphetamines until the steroid era. Like, yeah. they, it's it's kind of underserved how how much speed the average baseball player was on up until the 90s <laughs> i can't understate and then don't forget and we can i would like to cover this in a in a longer form uh format but the the cocaine the drug scandal oh, yeah. of the of the 80s and that rocked major league baseball uh steve howe got you know a lifetime ban out of that shit like they were they were taking this seriously but you know the Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden going to Club 54 and, and doing cocaine. Like, drugs have been a part of baseball for a very long time, just like fights have. Fights. And you have got a great, uh, you've got a great list of fights here. Uh, so let's just start taking taking these one by one. Do you want to go in like chronological order? I did put them in order of like the best. And I took this from a list. This okay. was from a, a random website called Jeff Hefabet. Hefabet. Um, it's linked in the in the uh, notes. This was sort of this. They call it the six best brawls. I took a bunch of different lists and kind of combined them, and and it seems like the Hefebet ones were the definitive best brawls in history. And most of them, all of them, come after the '80s. So I guess you know, take it with a grain of salt. We don't know really what was going on in the '60s, '70s. Brawls happened then. Um, but <laughs> the first one we've got here is Chanho Park of the Dodgers versus Tim Belcher of the Angels from 1999. After Park dropped down a sacrifice bunt, Belcher ran hard to field the ball and was able to tag Park out on the base path. However, during the tag, he decided to like do some kind of weird hug and like grapple him, and Park did not like that. So they start tussling, they start tussling, and after that, Park basically pushes him away, jumps up, and does a fucking spin kick into Belcher's head. <laughs> That's it. The rest of the fight is not that interesting. It's just the fact that this man decided mid-baseball fight, I'm going to spin kick this man. With metal spikes on my foot. Yeah. <laughs> you always forget about that. They've got goddamn spikes on their feet. Yeah. And they've only been plastic for the last, like, 10 years. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I remember uh, begging my mom to let me buy metal cleats, and they and you, they had them replaceable. You could put you could put bigger, longer, sharper spikes on there. Um, but then my mom was like, "No, you dumb dumb, you can't play though. You can't use those in little league. You're 12. <laughs> I'd love to hear you talk about Odor versus Bautista, oh my which sounds like a professional fight. Ruth Ned Odor and Joey Bats, aka Jose Bautista. This is one of my favorites from recent years. Uh, definitely one of the best photographed and most photogenic fights ever. Uh, it's really. It's kind of a nothing burger of a story. Bautista slid way too hard going into second. Odor didn't like it. Words are exchanged. Some uh, masculine posturing. Odor shoves Batista. Batista puts up his dukes. And then Odor lands uh, pretty much the cleanest punch ever seen on a baseball diamond. Uh, if you've never seen it, just go Google it. You know how to do that. You found this podcast. You can <laughs> figure out Google. Um, uh, Ruth Ned is uh, spelled like rough Ned, in case you're yeah. wondering. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great one. And I felt terrible for Joy Bats. I love Jose Bautista because if nothing else, he gave us the greatest bat flip. Um, yes. This, well, non-Korean baseball organization, non-KBO bat flip. Just go go look up KBO bat flips. Those dudes know how to flip. Um, but yeah, again, it's it, 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 a whole lot of nothing led up to a really explosive moment in that one. Um, the next one on your list, uh, <laughs> Armando Benitez v. The Yankees. <laughs> yes. Now, there were a couple Yankees fights on that list. Again, go check it out. A lot of Yankees versus Red Sox fights, but this was Yankees versus the Orioles. Yankees, of course, were extremely dominant in the 90s. This was 1998. Benitez gave up a Bernie Williams home run. He's pissed off. He plunks Tino Martinez. Whole Yankees dugout starts barking at him, and he's like, fuck you guys. And next thing you know, Benitez is taking on roughly four Yankees at once. Like, the bullpen was <laughs> out there immediately. And so he's got like four guys and they're all come at him. The big scrum of players starts pushing, pushing, pushing. And the next thing you see is Daryl Strawberry coming out of nowhere. I didn't even know he's playing for the Yankees or coaching or whatever. He's 98. Like, what is he doing there? He was at the very tail end of his career. Okay. <laughs> it's like, Daryl, what are you doing here? And uh, he comes out of nowhere and basically pushes the scrum to push Benitez into the Orioles dugout. And the whole pile just starts piling into the dugout to fight. I've never seen that before. Normally, it's very contained on the field. But this was pre-dugout uh, rails. So that's just it's just a pit off of the field. <laughs> and it is something else, man. Because he took on a good number of Yankees before the scrum kind of pushed him away. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, Daryl Strawberry turned into a one-man plow king and just started <laughs> plowing uh human beings into the dugout i would love to talk about the next one because it's it's one of the, the most memorable and i also have a bit of personal color to add Ooh. to this one yes 1993 if you were uh alive and watching baseball in 1993 then you remember nolan ryan versus robin ventura at the time uh nolan ryan was at the tail end of his career pitching for the texas rangers uh robin ventura was with the white Sox at the time um this was the final hit batter of nolan ryan's career he hit 158 Robin was 158. Uh, 46 year old Nolan Ryan was charged at the mound by a 26 year old Robin Ventura, where he swiftly got Ventura into a headlock and just started pummeling, just raining blows down on on Robin Ventura's head. Ventura was inject was ejected. Ryan got to stay in the game for four more innings and got credit for the five to three win. There is a small contingency. I say I think it's small. It, it was it was like one of those where my coworker I told him about it and he's like oh but I think Ventura won and I was like really there, there you go ask him where he's from asking him ask him his rooting interests uh, you know if he, he, he says like I root for Cleveland okay that's he's a same. Mets fan he's oh, a Mets fan but... all right well then that, that's weird because Met you know Nolan Ryan played, Ryan for, the played Mets. for the Mets yeah um, some people think that Robin Ventura won the scrum uh, there was a, a scrum that brought down the the Ryan Ventura Pudge Rodriguez grapple sort of like three way hug down to the dirt but while the momentum shifts it appears that ventura was able to get out of the chokehold and throw ryan into sort of like a, a seatbelt choke as he tackled him to the ground um but that doesn't matter because you're 26 and you ran you just took like 10 punches to the head yeah. from a 50 year old man yeah, you just charged the mound and got beat up by a 46 year old the color that i have to add to this 
was I was 15 and I was hanging out with some friends. Uh, my friend Tom lived across the field, had a little like uh, a, like a barn. Imagine a barn that's like missing the walls, like the long walls on the side. So it's like an overhang. Um, and we used to hang out there and do whatever, but we they had electricity. So we'd play video games out there. And we were playing, I think, bases loaded baseball or something. And another friend of mine uh, was mocking me. Just like every time I said something, he would just say, like, repeat everything back to me, but in a dumb voice uh. for absolutely no reason. And this was the first, like, real fight I ever got into. I got up, I started shoving him. Uh, and the, 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 kid, the kid that I was fighting uh, was apparently a fairly proficient fighter because I charged him twice and he, like, just straight jabbed me in the face twice. Oh. <laughs> and then I remembered that I was uh, basically the same height that I am now, about 6'2". Yeah. Um, so I just, and I had just seen that fight like <laughs> days before. I go and I put him in a headlock and I just start, I used my reach on him and just started. You did the Nolan Ryan. I just started, did the Nolan Ryan. And then our other two friends came and uh, tried to, it, it took him a good minute because I was really pissed off and it was the first time I'd ever been in a fight. So adrenaline's just taking hold. And I don't even know. I was like hitting him on the skull, like not in the, not in the face. Um, but he's trying to push off and I was, you know, and we were still friends after that because that's what 15 year old boys did. But sometimes as a boy, you have to fight your best friend and you come out better for it. Exactly. But because of this fight, I, in that moment, I was like, oh, and <laughs> I lunged and got him in the headlock and started pummeling him. This fight, the next fight on your list had another, uh, had a famous headlock in it as well. I would love for you to cover this one because I want to do the last one. Oh, absolutely. Yankees v. Red Sox. 2003. Picture it. American League Championship Series Game 3. After Roger Clemens and Pedro Martinez traded plunks and inside fastballs throughout the highly anticipated playoff matchup, Manny Ramirez took offense to a bit of chin music and charged the mound with the fucking bat in his hand. The ensuing brawl kicked off, which also included Pedro Martinez throwing the Yankees' 72-year-old bench coach Don Zimmer to the ground by the head. <laughs> He grabbed a 72-year-old man by the fucking skull and threw well, him to the ground. <laughs> to be fair, Don Zimmer is running at him. I, I don't really know what Don was thinking. He's kind of running at him, and it was a very, like, uh, Charlie Chaplin-esque, like, Martinez just kind of went, oh, nope, and just yep. kind of grabbed him by the head and just went, nope, and sidestepped him. But it was enough to be like, what are you doing throwing this old man around? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he totally matadored it, but Don, Don Zimmer was one of those, like, he, some of those guys, like you see a 72-year-old guy and he's been around the game for a while. Like I wouldn't fight Jim Leland, <laughs> but I think I could take Don Zimmer. <laughs> true, true, true. But you're right. Don, you had no business charging somebody that was 40 years younger than you. Um, but he, he rolled. He rolled yeah. like it was not the first time he'd been thrown to the ground by his ears. Yeah. <laughs> uh, beer sales were suspended after that. Uh, and then it it... it it was. It didn't end there. A Fenway Park groundskeeper started fighting with the Yankees relievers in that bullpen, uh, the in in Fenway Park, which is just sort of there. You know, it's yeah. not it's not guarded in any way. It's 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 almost as exposed, if not more exposed, than the new uh, bullpens they have in Toronto. Uh, which, if you guys remember, uh, when they rolled out the new uh, Toronto Blue Jays uh, or the the Rogers Center. What's the word I'm looking for? Remodel. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Blue Jays fans were mocking the Detroit Tigers uh, <laughs> reporter. <laughs> he was up yeah. there. Johnny Kane. Because they're like right in the yeah. business there. Yeah. So apparently the this Fenway Park, uh, you know, groundskeeper was like, ah, fuck you. I'll fight you. I guess what had happened was he had started celebrating because the Red Sox had done something good. And the Yankees uh, relievers were barking at him in the bullpen. So he's like, oh, fuck you guys. And I guess... He went to the hospital with uh, cleat marks <laughs> in his in in some in his, portion in of his, his body, ass. but but one of them left with a big cut above the eye, so he must have landed a couple punches. Hey, I would not fuck with a random groundskeeper from Boston, ever. I don't care if you're a six foot tall uh, Yankees reliever from New York, I guess, but but a Boston groundskeeper. Mm -mm. Oh no, he he's he's probably some dude from Southie uh named Pat cuz <laughs> they're all named Patrick or Pat or something down there. And uh yeah, I wouldn't I lived in Boston for a little bit. I didn't fight while I was out there. No, because of that. 
I want to talk about what could potentially be the greatest baseball fight of all time. It's actually three fights when you break it down, but it's over the course of one game. <laughs> Padres versus Braves, 1984. Now, this was the year the Padres went to the World Series. This was a championship-caliber team, and they were fighting with the second-place team, which was 10 games behind them in August. Like, this was sort of one of those games. It's like, it doesn't matter that much, you know? A bit of color for that. Back then, there was only the East and the West so yes. you had like 15 teams jockeying for uh you know one it was it was it was two divisions whoever won each division played in the championship series uh and then went to the world series there was no divisional series there was no wild card so 10 games at that point in the season not good but not insurmountable yeah so let's set let's set the scene. Padres second baseman Steve Wiggins was upsetting the Braves the day before because he kept bunting for a base hit. And they were like, swing the bat, asshole. Swing the bat. Fuck you. So the very next day, first pitch of the game, they beamed him with the first pitch. The Padres tried to return the favor the very next inning against that pitcher because this is, again, the National League where the pitchers were batting. Um, But the San Diego pitcher... Ed Winston, so, okay, backing up here. The Braves pitcher's name is Pasquale Perez. The San Diego's pitcher is uh, Ed Whitson. So Whitson missed, threw a wild pitch, did not hit Perez. Actually struck him out, though, the next pitch. Okay, great. He tried to hit him. He didn't hit him. Whatever. Let's move on. Let's have a normal baseball game. No. Bottom of the fourth. <laughs> Whitson tried again to hit Perez, not once, three times. He was very, very determined to hit this man. <laughs> he failed all three times. So four total times he tried to hit this guy with the ball. Couldn't. Uh, uh, the umpires had seen enough. He was ejected. So was the manager, Dick Williams. Greg Booker took over for Whitson. So we got a new pitcher. Ozzy Virgil Sr. took over for the manager. All right, we got a new manager. We got a new pitcher. Uh, two innings later, both of them have been ejected. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing I read said why, so I don't know. It could have just been something else. I don't know. Uh, top of the sixth, Padres batting. Um, we've got new manager. We've got new pitchers. We're on our third Padres manager now. <laughs> and our third pitcher. Somehow he got through two innings. Nothing happened. We're okay. Okay. Seven. We're halfway through the seventh inning. The score is 5-1 to one Atlanta. Braves are up to bat again, bottom of the eighth, looking like probably the last time uh, that they're going to they're gonna be batting. So, you know, last time it probably hit somebody, right? <laughs> Craig Lefferts comes up to pitch for the Padres. He got the first batter out, but hey, here comes Pasquale Perez. Oh, boy. Oopsie doodles, he gets hit by the pitch. So finally, after five attempts, <laughs> this man gets hit by a pitch. Or again, he hit the first guy of the game with the first pitch. So the success rate with hit by pitches... As far as Braves Padres goes, Braves are way in the positive category. Um, so both benches clear after this. Lefferts is ejected. So is Kroll, who is the Padres' third manager of the day. Um, so they're, they're out of managers. Um, now, let's see here. I'm going to skip this part. Um, the Padres' left fielder was tossed. Three Braves were tossed. There was, there was fighting in the dugout. There was a guy that was injured who had gotten attacked by a padre. Um, it, was, it was absolute chaos. It took nearly an hour for play to resume because of fighting. <laughs> the score in the game was 5-1 to one in the Braves' favor. The score in ejections was San Diego 8, Atlanta 3. And you think, 11 ejections. That's a lot for a game. There's only so many guys <laughs> playing the average. Well, about 50 guys there on the field playing the game. How many more you got? Uh, there's more. Top of the ninth, Donnie Moore takes over pitching duties for the Braves. All he needed to do was secure three outs and the game would be over. The Braves would win. He hits the first batter, Greg Nettles, so he gets ejected. And then Joe Torrey, who's managing the Braves, what the fuck is he doing there? Uh, he'd been worn back in the second inning. He gets ejected. Nettles is ejected, too, because he charged the mound. Bench uh, <laughs> is clear again. Um, Tim Flannery, who had a pinch hit earlier in the game and had been replaced, he's now been thrown out of the game. Um, but he couldn't re-enter the game anyway, so they just threw him out for fun, I guess. Goose Gossage was tossed? A pitcher who was out of the game as well. So they're just tossing guys left and right because it's like, fuck it. It got so ridiculous 
that uh, there was a, a Padres player who's on the bench. He's not playing this game. He's just sort of standing in the dugout, kind of watching and surveying. A fan throws a beer at him, so he jumps into the stands and starts fighting the fans. And now it becomes a public safety issue. <laughs> <laughs> they have ejected 12 Padres, 5 Braves, 17 people total players and managers the umpire crew chief decides you know what i think we need to stop this we're still in the ninth inning by the way he clears both benches and sends them back to the clubhouse he says if you need another player you can go call them from the clubhouse we have to keep playing this game and uh the padres basically even though they're losing and and they're about to lose they didn't want to forfeit because they in their minds the braves started this whole thing so they don't want to give the braves the win they didn't just want to hand it to him in a forfeit. They want to play it out. Um, the Braves won uh, five to three. The game finished miraculously under three hours, and it to this day stands as the most ejections in a single game at 17. 17 ejections, three hit by pitches, five fans left the games in handcuffs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And that is what is known as the Bean Brawl game of 1984. Oh, my God. I. <sighs> I I knew this happened. I mean, like I was aware of it casually. And I'm so glad that you did that deep dive on that. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. Uh, because I had no idea the depths of lunacy <laughs> that this game reached when when fans are being taken out. I can't imagine. I have a cousin who was a security guard at the palace the night of the malice at the palace. Oh, God. And he said it was batshit insane. Um and that was in a bit like an enclosed building. <laughs> Basketball. It's, it's way more intimate. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like everybody's right on top of each other. There are fans like sitting, like you could reach over and be like, hey, LeBron, can you, you can, you know, drink that? <laughs> can I have that? Um, so, yeah, I can't imagine what that had to feel like for the fans who are sitting in like the stands who are like, oh, this guy just, oh, God, hopefully, hopefully he shuts up. Hopefully security comes and gets him. Oh, my God, here comes a San Diego <laughs> Padre. <laughs> Oh shit! We need to leave. Six and a half foot tall man in a a pinstripe jersey charging at us in a brown and mustard uniform for a team. Run! Yeah, uh, I think the funniest part to me will always be the fact that the the Padres tried and failed four times before they hit a Brave, which doesn't. And the Braves hit them twice. Yeah, two tries. Which is is weird. This was a championship team. These are guys you know, pitch professional pitchers can hit the ass end of a flea if they want to, but they couldn't hit a a large man with a ball. Again, this was the team that would go on to represent the National League in the World Series. They'd lose, but they they were there couldn't hit the guy with the ball um so that is the greatest fight in baseball history i don't know where tim and jose will rank in comparison but i mean look at the links folks i linked a bunch of them we've got so that came from saber that that big uh rundown um but the jefe bet six best brawls in mlb history um i've also got mlb's notable brawls of baseball history which go a little bit more in into the past um those are awesome links a lot of them had video linked too with the fights themselves. Fights are fun. I want to see, I, I hate violence in general, but with sports, it's sort of like, yeah, fuck it. Let's fight. Why not? Yeah. There's something about it, man. But hey, who did the Padres lose to in the 1984 World Series? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it might have been the uh, Detroit Tigers. It was the last time they won the World Series, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, take it. I bring it up because we're nearing the end of our show. And uh, a bit of sad Tiger talk today uh, as we record this on Monday, August 8th. Uh, Jim Price, the former uh, Tigers catcher, he was part of the 1968 uh, World Series team. He was their broadcaster for over 30 years. He passed away today uh, at the age of 81. He has been having some health issues for several years. He was fighting cancer and beating cancer. Uh, He scaled back his travel. He wasn't doing road games. He wasn't doing uh, some home games. Uh, as well and then unfortunately it looks like uh time just uh time caught up with old old jimmy there and he has been part of he was he worked with frank beckman he was there when it was it was jim price and jim northrup and and jim price and jim northrup were the two first professional baseball players i ever met at a at a baseball card show at the dort mall at the corner of Dort in Atherton. I got to meet Jimmy Northrup and Jim Price. I had no idea who they were at the time. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's a bummer. 
because as and I'm, I'll I'll defer to you. I'll pass this off to you. Uh, he was wonderfully eulogized by his play-by-play partner Dan Dickerson, who, uh, well, as they were doing on the radio broadcast night, running run through some of favorite his favorite gymisms. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and take this quote from Dan? We love we love Jim. We love the gymisms, and and this is a quote from Dan here: uh, "Buggy whip, qualify the speed of the runner, cut the pie, and of course." Yellow hammer. These are folksy Jim-isms. Uh, these folksy Jim-isms were what made him such a fan favorite, as well as the way he connected to us to the past and to one of the greatest baseball teams. He always said the greatest in franchise history. Every time I see a good curveball, I can't help but think of Jim. I'm sure he won't mind if I break out the occasional yellow hammer when I do. He will be missed. Um, and and Dan has been, I don't know, watch the Tigers actually just shut out the Twins, um, and Dan was kind of eulogizing Jim throughout the game, um, and he actually did say uh, Sonny Gray has a hell of a yellow hammer, and he's like, and that might be the last one you ever hear in a Tigers broadcast in Jim's memory. And Man, it's uh, it, it, what a loss, because he was, for my whole life, he was the second second chair. He was second chair to Ernie. He carried over the the transition to Dan Dickerson seamlessly. Two of them called two great Tigers World Series runs in my lifetime. And uh, I will never, ever forget seeing a line drive call as a buggy whip. I love that. Yep. Uh, don't forget Racky Tack. That was a yeah. really good one. And uh, he always called, uh, a lot of people refer to the catcher's gear as the tools of ignorance, but he always referred to it. Uh, referred to them as the tools of intelligence. Uh, anytime uh, somebody did something smart, he'd say, oh, he must be a catcher. They would have a contest. Like if, if so-and-so gets a hit, this person in this town wins something. He'd say, you know, Matt Coggins in Montrose, nice area, or nice, you know, area. nice area. So nice every, area. no matter where you were from, to Jim, it was a nice area. Jim, number 12, legendary tiger, legendary broadcaster, uh, very much will be missed. Um, and you know, on that note, that's gonna do it for us here at Put Me in Coach. Um, kind of a kind of a yellow hammer of a transition we did at the end there. But um, uh, hope join us next week. We're gonna talk about weird injuries. We're gonna dig a little deeper into what happened to Rizzo and some very very weird ones. My research has already dug up a lot of bizarre injuries. Um. Until then, uh, you know, you can you know where to find us. You'll hear the plugs at the end. Carl, any parting thoughts? Uh, no, once again, I would just like I, I I'd like to thank you for doing your the yeoman's work on this show. You did some great research for this show. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a traveling dad of two kids, so I don't have as much time to do this. So <laughs> if folks, if you're listening and you're like, wow, that was really well researched, thank Matt for that. So thank you as always for being an amazing co-host. Are we ready for the end? <gasps> Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback, edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. Put Me In Coach.